You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Such beautiful stories of redemption that we have among us as God's people. Uh, I'm going to get into God's Word now, and we're going to be in Daniel chapter 7 today. Uh, because it's Ascension Sunday, and Ascension Sunday, as we've said, it's where we remember the, the gospel story as it continued, not just that Jesus lived, not just that he died, not just that he rose, but that for the next 40 days, he appeared to as many as 500 people at a time, and then he ascended into heaven. And the ascension then is something that often sometimes gets left out of the story of Jesus when people tell it. They often stick to just the cross or maybe even just the resurrection. And yet the apostles knew how big of a deal the ascension is. They knew that without it, the kingdom that Jesus came to bring is actually gone. They knew that without it, we neglect to account for where Jesus is right now and what Jesus is doing right now and what he has promised to do in the future. The ascension is the ongoing saga of the gospel. And around 600 years before the ascension, we see it prophesied in Daniel chapter 7. Now, uh, the book of Daniel is fascinating. I'd love to actually do an entire series on it at some point in the future. Uh, But it's sort of split up into these two halves, where chapters 1 through 6 are stories And chapters 7 through 12 are kind of the symbolic interpretation of those stories. And so Daniel's vision that he has in this second half of the book, it's it's God pulling back the curtain to show him what's really going on behind the scenes. It's incredible because you get to understand these stories in kind of word pictures, and these word pictures make a whole lot more sense because you've got these concrete stories to go along with them. So, so let's read this, and it's going to be a bit of a longer reading today. Uh, if you would stand as you are able, I'm going to read God's Word. This is Jan- Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground to make, to, and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth and devoured and broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, 
there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked, and because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, Nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray as we dig into it. Father in heaven, we pray that as you pulled back the curtain so that Daniel could see what was really going on on earth, that you would give us the same vision today, that you would help us to see Jesus as he truly is, ruling and reigning over all things, and that as we view him, as we stand in awe of him, as we worship him, we would be transformed in his presence to be people of your kingdom. We pray this Jesus, in your great name, amen. So as we said, these, these visions in, math, in the book of Matthew begin in chapter 4, or sorry, in chapter 7, as we've just read, and, and this is the context of what is going on in, in, I keep saying Matthew, my mind keeps going back there, in Daniel chapter 7, from verses 1 to 12, if you have a Bible there in front of you, it might help you to look at what we've just read. From verses 1 to 12, Daniel had a vision of these four beasts coming up out of the sea. And most of us today, we're reading this stuff and we're like, man, this is so weird, I don't even know what is going on, right? Is that, how many people in the room thought that as we were reading it? Amen? Okay, that's okay. We're going to hopefully explain it a little bit. Daniel had this vision of these four beasts. They were coming up out of the sea, and the sea in Jewish literature, Jewish symbolism especially, it represents chaos. It represents creation. And so these four beasts are kind of coming into being, if you will. A lion, a bear, a four-headed leopard, which is one of the stranger things that we've read here, and and some really strange, scary thing that had ten horns on it, horns being symbols of power. So we see that this final beast is like the most powerful one of them all. And so I, I think I'm just going to wrap it up there, and I'll see you guys next week. Does that sound good? Okay. No. Yeah. 
I thought about how funny that would be if I stopped there because it's like we just kind of opened Pandora's box and we don't know what's going on still. Um, What do all of these symbols mean? What do they mean? Well, we can summarize it very simply by saying the rule of godless empires will end. If you want to think about verses 1 to 12, what do they mean? That is what they mean. The rule of godless empires will end. Each of these beasts symbolized a specific empire in history. The reason that they were coming out of these chaos waters of creation was because they had manufactured their own power through dominance and military might. Each Uh, progressively gained more and more power, uh, more powerful than the one that had come before it. So that first beast, that lion, it symbolized the Babylonians. The second beast, the bear, it symbolized the Medo-Persian empire, which came after them. The third beast, the four-headed leopard, symbolized the Greek empire. And that fourth beast, it's a little bit less clear, but we think it may be the Roman empire. But which specific kingdoms Daniel is seeing isn't really actually the point, as much as it is interesting for us to see that throughout history. The point is that though they were monumentally powerful in their day, they came and they went. They came and they went. That is the point. Daniel saw this actually happen in his own lifetime. Empires who seemed to have total world domination one minute, and then the next minute, they've been defeated and they've handed over their power to a different empire. No one thought that one empire could ever end, but before you know it, it's over. It's over. And the point is that every kingdom, no matter its greatness or power, no matter how wonderful it is or how terrible it is, every earthly empire will come to an end. Amen? Including ours, friends, including our great nation, including China, including Russia, including every empire we know of right now and everyone that will come after us, every nation that we know of right now and everyone that will come after us, they will all come to an end except for one, except for one, the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom. And that's actually what we see in the second portion of this passage in Daniel verses 13 and 14. The rule of God will never end. The rule of the godless empires will end. The rule of God will never end. Why won't the rule of God ever end? Because he has total dominion through Jesus. Jesus is the one who is being described here in verses 13 through 14. The God-man. Jesus, the Christ, the King, the phrase in verse 13, the coming on the clouds of heaven, shows his divinity, but then the the phrase, the Son of Man, shows this King's humanity. This is Jesus Christ being described here, the one who by his cross and his resurrection defeated our enemies of Satan, sin, and death, and unlike other empires, Like these four beasts, these four empires that Daniel describes here, the Son of Man doesn't create or manufacture his own authority or gain his own power through military might or violence. No, verse 13 said that he is handed his authority 
from the ancient of days. That's God our Father. In other words, Jesus ascended into heaven so the rule of God will never end on earth. That's the big idea. Jesus ascended into heaven so the rule of God will never end on earth. He's ruling right now, friends. He will return and he will rule forever. And we've been talking about this this whole service and some of you guys are going, that's great, I'm really happy about it, but what actual implications does this even have on our lives or on my life today? I'm going to give you two, okay? Ready? You guys awake? You ready? Okay. Two implications that this has on our lives today. Jesus is in control, so we don't have to be. Jesus is in control, so we don't have to be. Even when our lives feel out of control, Jesus is in control. Even when we, oh, it's an amber alert. That's an example of something that's out of control right now. Right there, it's a good illustration. Pray, God, that you would protect that child and bring them to safety. Even when we foolishly think that Jesus is doing a pretty bad job being in control, He's still sovereignly reigning and He's working out all things for good, the Scriptures tells us. But if He is in control, why does it sometimes feel like things are out of control? I'll give you a couple reasons for that. One is that even if Jesus is in control, it doesn't mean that we are. Amen? Sometimes... We're not. In fact, oftentimes, we are not. Our control is very, very limited. We can't control the weather. We can't control who's in political power. We, we have little bits of control over some of these things, but we can't, I mean, we can vote, but we can't control who's in political power. We can't control gas prices, amen? Uh, we can't control what our children do, what our spouse does, what our friends do, what our team at work does. We can't even do pest control, my friends. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but uh, I think that term is an oxymoron. Rats are the bane of my existence, and uh, years ago, I had a friend, or not a friend, but a guy who became a friend, uh, try and help our family deal with a rat problem in our crawl space. And this guy, he was a Christian, and so he named his his company Dominion Pest Control talking about how God has given humans dominion over the earth and over all of creation, which is kind of an ironic name, if you ask me, because it took us forever to try and manage those rats and try and do anything about that situation. And what I learned is that as much as we might try, even our control over rats is limited. Uh, We eventually had to actually fill our entire crawl space with cement to keep the rats from digging their way in and destroying our insulation and moving into our house. That, uh, I don't know if that's dominion, um, but I do think that I won in the end, uh, and the rats lost, uh, but... (laughs) But that just is an illustration to show you how limited our control is over many different things. And so one reason why we feel like things are out of control is because we aren't in control. The other reason is sometimes 
things feel, or the other reason things sometimes, oh my gosh, I'm going to try the sentence again. The other reason things sometimes feel out of control, despite the fact that Jesus is in control, is that this already but not yet nature of his kingdom. Nick was talking about this earlier on in the service. You may have heard that phrase even before today, that Jesus' kingdom is already here, but it's not yet complete. And so because it is already here, we get to enjoy all kinds of blessings, right? We get to enjoy fellowship with God, knowing Him. We get to enjoy being forgiven, cleansed, transformed, and healed, even like Jen was telling us about in her own story. We get to enjoy being a part of His new community, the church. We get to enjoy telling other people about Him and serving people in this world and blessing others. All of those things are blessings of being a part of Jesus' kingdom, which has already come. But because His kingdom is not yet fully realized, we continue to experience this brokenness and, and sin's presence, sin's presence inside of each of us and other human beings, sin's effects in our bodies, uh, illness, cancer, right, death, Uh, but also in all of creation, creation is falling apart. Jesus has not yet finished the work that he has begun. And because his kingdom is already here but not yet complete, it's as though we are caught up between two worlds. Feel like we're being tossed around a little bit. We were caught between heaven and earth. We're caught between the present and the future. And and there's so much not yet in what we experience every day in our lives. But we can't take that to mean that Jesus is not ruling or that he's doing a botched job of it. In fact, he is working out all things for good for those who love him and belong to him, Scripture tells us. Do you believe that? Jesus is working out all things for good despite the evil that we see in the world, despite the shootings that we saw this week. Do you believe that Jesus is working out all things for good? If you don't, you you need to look at more than the evidence around you. You need to get Daniel's vision. You need God to pull back that curtain so you can really see what is going on in history. If you ever doubt that God is working out all things for good, you need to look at the cross. There's nothing more evil than murdering the Son of God. Amen? Nothing more evil than that. But through it, what's God done? We've we've said what He's done. He's defeated Satan and demons. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. He's redeemed a people for Himself from every culture, class, country, and color. It's amazing. That is how good God is. He can even use the evil of the murder of his innocent son for good. And so don't look at the evidence around you in this world or in you or in this life and judge Jesus. Don't tell him he's doing it wrong and that he's not in control. The Bible says that right now we can only see in part. That we're, it's like looking into a foggy mirror. We can only see little bits of what is really going on, and there's much more to this story than what's out in front of us. No matter how much 
the not yet of Jesus' kingdom is overwhelming to us. Jesus is in control, and so everything is going to be okay. Do you believe that? Can you say amen to that today? Jesus ascended into heaven, so the rule of God will never end on earth. So what's that one implication that we looked at was that Jesus is in control, so we don't have to be. What's the other one? Jesus is on his throne in heaven, so our citizenship is in heaven. We, friends, Christians, we are in a sense with him in heaven right now, that he is bringing heaven to earth, and we have been able to be participants in his kingdom through what he has done. So for Christians, Jesus is where our ultimate allegiance lies. We don't bow to any political party or leader. You know, we might vote, right? We might participate in civil government as, as good citizens seeking the common good for society, but we know that empires come, empires go, politicians come, and they go, and so we don't need to be afraid when things don't go the way that we think is best, and we don't need to have ultimate hope when they do. Our hope is not here. Amen? Our hope is not here. Our hope is with Jesus in heaven. And so, what are some implications of that? We don't let politics polarize us. Can I get an amen to that? We don't let it polarize us, even if people all around us are being constantly polarized by their political views all around us, especially on really useful places for that to happen, like Facebook, right? Even when people are polarized all around us, we Christians, we do not let that polarize us. And it's probably a good time for me to point out that at Trinity, we welcome everyone from every political end of the spectrum. You are welcome here. We actually need to fellowship with people who don't share our exact political views because we need to help one another in wisdom. We need to help one another by understanding that it's not these political views that we find our unity. And so we are diverse in many ways as a church, but we are also diverse politically. And yes, the Bible does have very specific ethical principles that should drive our politics. And from time to time, the elders and I may encourage you to observe, you know, find those ethical principles and then say, maybe it should, you should look at your politics again. Yes, but the Christians should never find themselves completely at home in a political party on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. It is in heaven with Jesus. Politics are not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. Our nation is not ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. And likewise, we don't place our hope in any nation, not even the ones that we think are wonderful, not even our own. You may enjoy it. You may love it. You may even be patriotic. But our hope is not here, our hope is in Jesus. And just as we don't hope in any nation, no matter how wonderful that we think that nation is, we also don't fear any nation, no matter how scary we think that nation is. Because there's some pretty horrible stuff going on out there in the world today, isn't there? Some of which is being done by people who have very significant power, 
some of which is happening from nuclearized nations. So we read the news, we look around and we say, do, do I need a fear? The answer is not at all. Not at all. Pull back the curtain. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is ruling and reigning over human history. And today, rulers are allowed to be in power because He is allowing them to be. And whether it's in the near future or it's on the last day, Jesus will judge all people, including those with significant power. He will balance the scales. And he will eliminate all evil, and those evil leaders will come, and they will go, and Jesus will reign forever. Jesus ascended into heaven, so the rule of God will never end on earth. That's the big idea today. I hope you take that home with you. I hope you take that home with you when you read your news feeds, when your friends are arguing with one another. When you're feeling like your life is out of control, remember, the rule of God will never end on earth. Two community group questions to spark some conversation this week. Where are you tempted to place your hope or fear in an empire? And in what ways does the ascension of Jesus give you tangible hope today? Let's pray and then we'll close out our service with response to him. Jesus, we just want to see you. We just want to look past whatever evidence we have that you are not ruling and reigning that's in front of us. We want to look past that and see you truly. God, would you help us to do that today? Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us, winning the victory over our enemies, rising in triumph and ascending to the seat of all rule and authority and power. And Jesus, we worship you today. Help us to do that rightly now as we respond to you. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.